This episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. This episode of Cheat Codes was supported by Agios. What's up, Cheat Codes listeners? It's Dr. Z, and I'm all by myself today, actually. Dr. C slipped out on me a little early here, so uh, you're going to have me by myself, focused 100% on this pod uh, and I'm really excited about this podcast episode. This is, an, this is a special one for me because, you know, being a sickle cell physician in Detroit comes with its set of challenges. But one of the things that I've been so thankful for has been having a community-based organization that we rely heavily on. It's actually the beating heart of our center. Um, Dr. Wanda Witten-Sherney has been on our podcast many times before. Maybe not many times, but we definitely did the Detroit Legacy podcast together, right, Dr. Sherney? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we did that one, and that was I really enjoyed that because I got to speak about my dad. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. So I, I'm, I'm really happy. And, and, and what I was able to do, Dr. Sherney, is bring in one of your colleagues who's not too far away from us. He's actually pretty close by. We, we were able to bring in Gary Gibson from Indiana, and I'm just so thrilled to have the two of you on. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So I want, you know, I, I have the pleasure of knowing both of you, but, you know, just for the sake of it, let's go through this from the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about who you guys are and what your connection to sickle cell disease is. You know, let's start with, let's start with you, Dr. Sherney. Tell me a little bit about who Wanda Witten Sherney is. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying that I am a general pediatrician by training. And I actually did a year of a hematology and oncology fellowship. And I went to nine funerals and spoke at three of them and decided that, you know, there's this thing called detached concern and you're supposed to get that. And I didn't quite get it. So I said, this isn't the life for me. And my last rotation was in the Comprehensive Sickle Cell Clinic at Children's Hospital. And this is a clinic that my father, Dr. Charles Witten, had started. And I kind of said to myself, I'm home, you know, and at least I thought I was home. My dad founded the National Association for Sickle Cell Disease, which is a group of community-based organizations. And I do have to say that Gary Gibson and I are old friends and partners in crime. So, you know, we're very familiar with each other. We work together a lot. But um, my father would always say to me, well, Wanda, when I'm not here anymore, I'm going to need you to run the SCDAA Michigan chapter. And I would say, oh, no, dad, I'm a pediatrician. That's not what I do. And you got to find somebody else to do that. But when I did lose my dad about 10 years ago, there wasn't anybody to do it, you know, and I really thought to myself, I said, you know what, I can do more for the sickle cell community from that vantage point than from being in the clinic. So we have great physicians in the Comprehensive Sickle Cell Clinic at Children's Hospital, and that freed me up to play a leadership role at the SCDAA Michigan chapter. So that's kind of how I got there. Amazing. So, so Gary, now, now, now coming to you, I mean, you're the president and CEO of the Martin Center um, Sickle Cell Initiative. Tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Tell us about how you got in, into that role, how, what your sort of interest in sickle cell disease. Where did this stem from? Actually, it, it stemmed from personal experience. Uh, I am not affected directly by sickle cell disease, nor is anyone in my family. However, when I was in college, I went to the University of Notre Dame. And when I was there, um, I met a young woman who actually was shipped down from Detroit. Uh, from, we, there was always a yearly dance that you, Notre Dame had with a college up there called Mary Grove College. And my, uh, my person that I'm referring to was a student at, Medi at Mary Grove. And they were, sh they were shipped down in a bus to, to, to hang out. Notre Dame at the time was, was not co-ed. And so they brought girls in for us to have every now and then. And one of the ones that came 
with a woman named Brenda, Brenda Williams. And Brenda Williams turned out to have sickle cell disease. I fell in love with Brenda Williams on that first day. In fact, I fell in love with her as soon as I saw her and I met her. And as I, as I talked to her, she told me that she had sickle cell disease. She wanted me to know right up, you know, what I was getting into if I was going to have a relationship with her. Then we talked and I honestly did not know anything about sickle cell disease at the time. However, I fell in love with her and as we developed a relationship and we dated for three years. Um, and I would come and go to visit her in, uh, in Detroit. I'll, I'll never forget the very first time that I visited her uh, when she was in crisis, the first time I saw her in crisis. And that just totally blew me away. Um, the pain that I saw her experiencing, it basically came down to when I first came into her room, I, I put my hands on, on her bed. They had the rails up because she was just writhing around in all this pain. I put my hands on the rails and she screamed. And she said, don't do that. And I said, don't do what? She said, don't touch the bed like that. That hurt. And I said, oh, my God, I didn't do cool. And that really sort of, it hit me real hard. It hit me real hard. Um, and so um, we continued to date. I got, honestly, I got a little, uh, she was having a lot of issues with crises. And I got a little uh, concerned about it. And I decided, I don't know if I can do this. So I, I told her, I, I don't know if I can do this. And we broke up for about two years. And I dated some other women and stuff like that, but I could never get her off of my mind. She was an awesome person. And Wanda has met her sister, uh, I think, and, and you, you, I think you get a sense for how, how Brenda was. Anyway, I, I, I went back to Brenda and said, you know, I made a mistake. I said, I should not have broken up with you. Can we get back together? And she said, well, I'll think about it. Okay, just like that. And so we got back together and we and, and I mean, the more I knew her, the more I loved her. Well, anyway, um, Brenda passed away um, unexpectedly uh, when she was 36 years old after we'd been married for 12 years. Um, she literally uh, died uh, from a, a heart attack uh, while she was in a crisis, and she actually literally fell dead in my arms when I was sitting next to her. I'm so sorry to hear that. For three years before that, um, although her doctors had told her that she could never, probably never get pregnant, she did get pregnant, and then she had a very bad sickle cell crisis, and she had a miscarriage. And we found out at the time that she had a miscarriage, she was like three months in, that she was carrying twins. So we lost twins, and then I lost her. So I decided at that point in time, I've got to do something, uh, because I had some realizations about sickle cell, uh, having experienced with her firsthand as a caretaker and watching what it was doing to her, it just continued to move me of how unfair a life people with sickle cell had. And I decided that I wanted to try to do something to make a difference. And that's over 40 years ago now. And so that's how I got into it. And then I spent quite a few years in government. In fact, while I was with Brenda before she passed away, I was in, in government, Indiana state government, had some pretty high positions here. And then I just decided that wasn't working. And then this job opened up and I applied for this job and that will be 10 years ago this June. What a story. I mean, there's, you touched on so many things in that one story and, and that really, I mean, that really depicts the truth of sickle cell disease in such a human way. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us and, and so sorry for your loss. You, you certainly built from that loss though. Um, and, and you've certainly committed yourself in a way to sickle cell disease that is commendable. Um, so, so, so thank you for that service. And that really brings us to sort of the, the meat of this discussion, which is 
you guys are powerhouses as far as leaders of community-based organizations go. There's two approaches here. There's an approach of what a community-based organization is able to achieve for the patient community, but then there's also an angle of what the community-based organization can do for the physician community. And I want to approach both angles here. Let's start with the more obvious angle, which is the community-based organization's role for patients. If we have warriors that may be listening in Indiana, in Detroit, anywhere really, who haven't interfaced with their community-based organization, what would your pitch be to them? What would you tell them about what a community-based organization can mean for a sickle cell patient, how it can play a role in their life? I always think of the community-based organization as being the boots on the ground. You know, you have your doctors and you have your patients. And I also think about the community-based organizations really kind of being a liaison between the patients and the doctors. And I think one of the most important things about us is that we're trusted, you know, and I, I think that when things come up, they call us, you know. And so if, if you're a person, if you're a warrior and you haven't connected yourself with a community-based organization, then I would say really just reach out to us, you know. Know, you can go on the website of the SCDAA and click on your state and get information about community-based organizations near you. At the SCDAA Michigan chapter, our first and primary mission is to maximize the quality of life of individuals living with sickle cell disease. So we provide non-medical services, but we want to connect you to all the possible resources. We have a statewide program and we have community health workers that are patient advocates that are strategically placed all across the state of Michigan to do care coordination, to make medical referrals, to help with psychosocial issues, to um, even pro provide funding when you have a, a, a financial crisis, you know, so we just want you to feel like we're there for you and just for the asking. Just reach out and we will let us know what's going on and we'll be happy to assist. So from the patient to the SCDAA, that's that's the way I feel about it. Wonderful. G Gary, was there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, certainly. <clears throat> I'd like to say um, I really want people to know that the first thing they need to know is that we are here for them. Uh, that's why we exist. We are trying to do uh, like what Wanda said. I agree with what she said that, you know, we're here for you and we want to help you achieve a higher quality of life. And that's what we focus on here at Martin Center as well. We want to be sure that people have every opportunity to maximize the quality of life in any way they can. And our philosophy is if we can be here and if we can help you just a little bit today, then we've helped improve your quality of life, even if it's just for today. Uh, some of the services that we offer, uh, pretty much what Wanda said, we, we offer emergency financial assistance. We offer transportation assistance. We have a food pantry where we, where we provide food to people. We have a monthly some support group that meets, uh, you know, regularly to, to help provide the uh, emotional support uh, that only sickle cell patients can give each other. We do a tremendous amount of advocacy as well. Uh, we work with our state legislators. We've been able to develop and cultivate uh, who we call our, our legislative champion here in our Indiana legislature, who's actually passed some bills for us recently. Um, and so we're here for them. That's all we exist for. And, you know, some of the other things that we have to do, I was just complaining right before we started to Wanda that I spent two full days uh, working on accreditation for one of our funders 
And, you know, that's, that's not what I care about. What I care about is trying to make life better for somebody that comes in here. Well, every year we do have a, what we call a, a youth ambassador. And last year, our youth ambassador just put it perfectly. She said, it's the only place that I can come where people understand who I am. And, you know, that's, that's really important. And when she said that, you know, I, my heart lit up because that's why we're here. And a young 13-year-old recognized it. She said, this is the only place I can come where people understand me. And I thought that that's important. And I want everybody else to feel that they should, in fact, get in touch with their community-based organization because we will understand you like nobody else can. This is such an exciting time in the in the world of sickle cell disease you know for a number of different reasons not all of them so good you know but with covid kind of pointing out this whole healthcare disparity like everybody is willing to look at healthcare disparity as if it just came all of a sudden you know and it's been there all along but i'll take it whenever i can get it you know what i mean one of the things when i do my talk called sickle cell 101 i always talk about the challenges that our patients face that individuals living with sickle cell disease face and then i always have slides of some of the heroes and sheroes uh, uh, that are individuals living with sickle cell disease and their accomplishments so that people can understand and it's just amazing how many people will say to me you know i didn't even know sickle cell disease still existed you know and i thought it was all taken care of i thought it was gone one of the things that i always say is that people don't know much about sickle cell disease and what they do know is wrong. You know, so one of the things that we really try to do is dispel all of those myths that are out there, you know, in terms of because our, our well, actually our second mission is to help people who are at risk for having a child with sickle cell disease make informed decisions about childbearing. But that takes us to our third mission, which is just to raise awareness, you know, so we want more people, you know, you see pink and you think that, oh, that's breast cancer, you know, and then you look at the breast cancer walk and you there's no room but then you say sickle cell and, and people are like, what is that? You know, so we really have our work cut out for us just in terms of raising awareness. So that's a big part of what we do, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've seen that in action and it's uh, very powerful. Some days I feel, though, obviously, Gary, we just met, but I get to see Dr. Sherney pretty up close here. Some days I feel like it never turns off, like there's an on switch for you guys that you're not able to turn off. It's like 24 seven around the clock. I mean, this is like nonstop. How does a typical day look for you guys? Like if you were to walk me through a sort of example of a day and what you try to accomplish in a day, how does a day in a life of uh, someone who runs a CBO look like? It's complex. Uh, I think that's the. <laughs> I'm glad you're going first, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's complex. And, um, you know, the thing is, you end up having to do a lot of things that tend to pull you away from your mission. Um, and, you know, our mission is to try to help make life better for people with sickle cell, but you've got to run a business. And, and you know, they're not necessarily compatible. And so, yeah, you're right. Uh, as an example, uh, two nights ago, I had four hours of sleep. And, that was it, you know, because there was just so much on my mind, so many things of trying to attack. And a lot of them are not directly related to helping improve the quality of life for somebody, which is what I really want my life to be about. The typical day is, like I say, it's complex. It's going to include fundraising of some, some manner. It's going to include administration, doing reports for your funders that want all these reports more and more all the time, more and more data and things they're asking for. You have to pull it together. 
Um, you have to weave that in with your planning, your strategic planning, your organizational planning. You have to weave that in with um, staff issues and trying to keep your staff in place and in the right path. You have to uh, periodically, uh, you do some media kind of stuff, but not enough of that uh, to Wanda's point about raising awareness. One of the things that uh, frequently frustrates me the most is that we can't seem to get that much uh, media attention to help us spread awareness. Absolutely. And that's frustrating. But anyway, we do some of that. And then you, you have to do the longer range stuff, the planning for uh, you know raising the money, like I said, and, and planning for what do you do with your other duties. So, you know, it, it's like I said, it's complicated, complicated, very complicated. It's not easy work. And so it does take dedication. It takes a really good blend of dedication and passion for what we do. And one of the things that I've enjoyed about working with Dr. Sherney over these years now is I, I, I believe that she has a, a very complementary level of passion and dedication to, to me. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we get along so well. Everything Gary said is true, but and, and again, it's really a hodgepodge. And what your day looks like depends on what are the demands of that particular day. And I, I feel like I just get up and I start working for sickle cell disease. And then I, at some point, get something to eat. And then, you know, I go to bed and then I get up the next day and I start working for sickle cell disease. And it, it's kind of like what happens because you, you say, okay, so today, for, for instance, now Gary and I are both working on a HRSA grant that's really significant for our organization. And we've really been trying to focus on that. But then you get a phone call from one of my former patients. And, you know, I feel like, especially in this COVID um, era, I feel like almost every patient I ever took care of has called me about my opinion about the COVID vaccine. So that's that's what I mean in terms of uh, being trusted. And so you think that that day you're going to do one thing, but then something comes up and then you have to do something else. And then you have to go back and, and, and refocus, you know. And uh, one of the things that I'm just going to mention that really helps to keep me motivated is the the amount of time that I spend going to patient funerals, you know, and patients that I have taken care of from the time they were born until they turned 18 and stayed connected with through adulthood because I'm at the SCDAA now. And it just is, it, it's heart wrenching, but it's also keeps you motivated because we've got to do something. We've got to, this is, we got to do something, you know, we have to change this. And we know that there's actually a peak in mortality at the time when they transition from pediatric to adult care. And so that's one of the things that we're really working on. And that's something that's really exciting that's going on in Michigan now is trying to establish a center of excellence for individuals living with sickle cell disease in Detroit. And 75% of our patients live in Detroit. And I'm just thinking about ways to expand with telemedicine to help the people that are in other cities outside of Detroit. So it's just every day, it's a new challenge. And what you do is you take on whatever challenges before you. And so there's never a dull moment. Yeah, one thing that motivates me is pretty much every day I see and speak to somebody that has sickle cell disease. And it continues to, 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 to push me to do more because Pretty much every time I see somebody or speak to someone with sickle cell, in the back of my mind is are words that say they didn't deserve this. And that continues to bother me. They didn't have anything to do with the situation they're in. And it's not fair. You know, it's frankly, it's not fair. It's not fair that they have the disease. And it's also not fair that they've been treated the way they have by society and by the medical profession, et cetera. And when I see that, 
it just continuously reminds me that we've got to fix this. You know, we've got to stop having people being born with sickle cell, whatever way we can. We've got to do that awareness that Wanda was mentioning to stop the spread of sickle cell disease. But we've also got to do what we can to help those that already have it. And, and that's just what keeps me going is knowing that, again, um, I, I tell a story about how when I was a kid, I used to uh, help my father who my father was an architect and he used to unwind by working on his cars. And I was like five or six years old and I'd be out there trying to help him. I called myself helping him work on his car. And that's just go get this piece or go get that piece and hand it to me. That's what I would recall. <laughs> wow. I would always, I always had this uh, curiosity and I always had this desire for equity uh, to see equity because I didn't see it. And, you know, even as a young kid, I stood out with that, I guess. But at any rate, I, I would say, Daddy, why do we go to wars? And, and why do so many people have so much more money? And why are there still people hungry? Why how come people don't have places to live? I would ask him those kinds of questions. And he would always say, life's not fair, son, like, or something to that effect. And I, I would say to him, well, I'm going to change it. I'm going to fix it. You know, And that's where I was when I was a kid. And I still have that today. So when I see these people that had nothing to do with the situations they're in, suffering like they're suffering, whether it's their pain, whether it's their uh, financial pains and their financial issues, whether it's their lack of education, and we can go on and on and on. I see that and I think that's not fair. Let's fix it. Wow. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, I, I appreciate so much what you guys are talking about. Over the last sort of five years, I'm, I'm obviously a junior in my career here, but over the last five years, I've seen a lot of this up close. And, and, and for me, to hear you guys speak about this, to know what you guys do and what you try to accomplish, it's just so meaningful because I also recognize the toll it takes probably on you to, to, to do this day in and day out and, and see a lot more of the loss than the wins. But when you, when you look back over the last decade, are there moments in your individual organizations that you're particularly proud of, wins that have come across in the last decade that you personally feel like you played an important role in, your organization played an important role in, that really stand out. I'd love to talk about those wins. Okay, in 2019, uh, the fall of 2019, Martin Center for Initiative celebrated its 50th anniversary. When I started in my job here in 2011, uh, Martin Center was almost about to close because it had totally run out of funding. And the work that I did um, with the teams that I've had, we were able to turn that picture totally around. And we are now one of the better funded organizations, uh, sickle cell CDOs in the country. But also recognizing that because of the work that we did from the time I started, we were able to have our 50th anniversary because we were almost ready to not have one. We were almost ready to close. Um, in fact, when I was bought on, I was bought on to either fix it, change it, or close it. That was, those were my instructions from the board of directors. Said, well, we can't close it. This is too important an organization. And if we if we go away, there's nobody else in Indiana to do this. Period. And so we we're going to be leaving hundreds, of thousands of people, uh, maybe 1,500 people in a whole state without any resource at all. And we can't do that. So we've got to find a way to make it stay open. So I'm particularly proud of the work that we did to be able to have that 50th anniversary. And now that's two years ago, and we're now 52 years old. We're the second oldest in the country, just a little bit older than one of Two things. Our inaugural walk in 2014, we had 1,100 people. 
And uh, it was what we call a myth dispelling walk, right? And so everybody wore red. It was at the Detroit Zoo. And the whole imagery was that we were flowing through the zoo the way the blood needs to flow through individuals living with sickle cell disease because that would end the pain and the suffering. And the individuals living with sickle cell disease wore t-shirts that bore the myths. So one of the shirts said, my pain is real because of that whole idea that our patients are drug seeking and drug addicts. Another one said, I'm still here living with sickle cell disease to dispel that myth that everybody dies by the time they're 21. Shirley Miller didn't start her life really until she turned 30 because all she could hear was, you have sickle cell disease, you're going to die, you're going to die. You know, so she looks up and she's 30 years old and what does she do? Get a master's degree, you know, and now we're the same age. I think she's 63. And so another shirt was, it's not just a black thing. So Miriam Beydoun, my um, Arab American uh, friend came to the microphone and talked about what it was like for her her to tell someone she had sickle cell disease and uh, they looked at her like, what? You know, how could that be? Isn't that a black thing? And then another was living well with sickle cell disease because of the myth that, you know, everybody with sickle cell disease is deathly ill. So I, that was our first walk and it was a huge success. And there was such fellowship, you know, that I just am really proud of that. And we are getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary. And one of the things that I'm hoping will be a success is the fact that Governor Whitmer has put in her proposed budget $6.7 million to assist in care for adults living with sickle cell disease to expand children's special health care services, which is a supplementary insurance, to cover through the lifespan the way it does with cystic fibrosis and hemophilia. So it's actually in an effort to correct some health care disparity that got focused on once again because of COVID-19. But again, I'll take it any way I can get it. So I'm really hoping and I just that that's something you know, the care of adults has been something, I I, I mean, I was raised in the sickle cell community. I mean, from the time I was six years old, there's all these brochures about sickle cell. And and so I feel like I grew up in in that. And uh, the other thing I always have to mention is that I was born on World Sickle Cell Day, June 19th. I can't ever talk to anybody without mentioning that because um, I feel like I was destined to do this work. But but anyway, I think that it's just a, a, a my father's spirit, I feel, is dancing all around me. And if this legislation gets through, it's going to be so impactful in terms of our primary mission, which is to maximize the quality of life of, of our patients and families. Amazing. Beautiful. Beautiful. And it makes me happy to see you guys have these tangible, measurable success stories that are clearly going to make such a such an impact in the communities you work in. And now a word from our sponsor, Agios Pharmaceuticals. At Agios, they are passionately committed to transforming the lives of patients with genetically defined diseases, including sickle cell disease. They're proud of their innovative investigational therapies and are proud to announce that they will move forward with a singular focus on accelerating and expanding their genetically defined disease portfolio. This transformation provides Agios with the resources required to optimize the development of their promising investigational therapies and ultimately enables the greatest overall positive impact for people battling these conditions. The patients and families who are counting on Agios need extraordinary science, and they also need people with extraordinary hearts. At Agios, they have both. Their work to discover and deliver new medicines is personal. If we dial in just a little bit more and really get into the nitty gritty, one of the things that 
for me, a sickle cell patient has to deal with, unfortunately, basically with every admission, is stigma, racism, right, bias, prejudice. Day to day, as liaisons between the healthcare system and the patients, does this come up day to day for you guys in in any sort of major way? And if so, are your organizations working to help patients navigate a sort of broken healthcare system? If so, can you can you provide some examples of how you've been able to successfully interface with the hospitals to, to help patients that are that are struggling with that? That comes from a selfish place. I'm asking this because I sort of want to, you know, because patients ask me, right? They say, what can we do about these these physicians who we who we see that don't believe us, right? Like, how do we fight that? And to me, I want to figure out how I as a provider can can work with my CBOs to amplify the patient's voice, the patient's complaint, and get them that justice and that respect that they deserve to have. The way that it comes to me most often is a patient calling me, talking about what's going on in the hospital. And uh, what I always try to do is rather than intervene myself, although I have in, in, on occasion jumped in my car and run down to the hospital to intervene in person, is to try to help the patient to negotiate that, to help them to know who are the people that they need to be in touch with. So that's on the personal level. Now, on a, a broader level for uh, patient education, when I do, even starting from newborn education, because we serve as the coordinating center for newborn screening for blood diseases. So we, all the sickle cell positive test results come to us. And in talking to parents in the very beginning, I talk about some of those issues that are going to come up and how that you're going to have to negotiate them. But then in terms from the other side, from the hospital side, um, I have uh, traveled around the state of Michigan and given talks called Sickle Cell 101. I've tried to empower uh federally qualified health centers to motivate them to take care of our patients, to understand our patients better, to help them, you know, to dispel some of the myths that they carry. And then in addition to that, I let them know about this patient empowerment toolkit that we developed, you know, and, and one of the things in the patient empowerment toolkit, well, it has things like a water bottle and a blanket and incentive spirometer and, and real tools, a thermometer. But in addition to that, it has what's called a passport to health, where the patient can record, you know, all of their medical information so that they can present to the doctor as the kind of patients that doctors want to take care of, you know, so, and just um, actually helping doctors. A lot of times, I mean, I've had numerous patients say to me that a doctor looked at them and said that, um, I don't know what to do for you. And so we have the ASH brochures and we have the NHLBI guidelines. So here, doctor, here's what you do for me. And something else that's really happening that's really good in, in Detroit, in the Detroit metropolitan area is Dr. Laura Zader has pulled together a coalition of doctors, and you're a part of that coalition, uh, Amar, to just address some of these issues. And, and just because she felt, you know, people see things and say, this is not right. That we need to do something about it. And so if we can uh, develop um, a, a kind of consensus on this is how you manage patients with sickle cell disease, because I, you know, I've said this before, but all this implicit bias training and, and so forth, I, I, yeah, you can do that, you know, but there, there are some people that are just going to be racist and you're not going to change that. The only way you're going to change that is to put them in a different household where they're not raised by racist parents, you know? So I think that what we need to 
do is the doctors need to do. I don't, I don't care whether you're racist or not. You know, you don't have to like this patient, but you, this is what you're going to do to take care of this patient. And so I think that's kind of more of the re approach that uh, we're going to need to take. So certainly uh, we do hear about issues, not on a daily basis, but we do hear about them frequently multiple times a year. I think I have a couple of answers to what to do with it, but I also have a, a story that I'd like to share. In 2015, uh, we were wanting to directly address that situation head on. And we, we submitted a grant application to the Indiana State Department of Health to help us fund it. We easily convinced them that this was worthwhile and they gave us the grant. And the grant was called the Sickle Cell Emergency Department Education Project. And our intent was to directly go into the emergency departments and ensure that the physicians uh, working in those emergency departments had access to the NHLBI guidelines, the ASH brochures that uh, Dr. Wanda just mentioned. Um, and to be sure that they had some cultural competency uh, to back all of that up, some training to, to back that up. When we first started on the project, a two-year grant, we were not able to get in the door to those emergency departments. And I'm talking the largest hospitals here in Indianapolis. They would not really see us. So I took a different approach and I started asking the Department of Health to give me, to get me a letter from the uh, commissioner of the State Department of Health ensuring that they knew that this was a real important thing to the Department of Health. It took me six months to get that letter. So by that time, almost a year of the two-year grant is gone. Then with that letter, we were able to get into the doors to the hospital. They did start seeing us and we started meeting with them. And what we wanted to do was to meet with them every six months at least to bring them up to date on things. And also because we knew that there are heavy, heavy rotations in the emergency department. So we knew that if we didn't keep coming, then we wouldn't keep, you know, keep feeding people the stuff they needed to see and hear. So throughout that, we were able to actually have meetings with nine different hospital systems within the central Indiana area. And of those nine, we were able to actually get meetings where we were able to provide meetings at, you know, weird doctor's hours, but we, we were doing them at six o'clock and eight o'clock at night and things like that to, to, to show people what we were wanting to do and share the information with the guidelines and things like that. And, and what we wanted to do was continue that, you know, on a rotating basis. And that didn't happen because they just didn't, they didn't allow it to happen. And so effectively, uh, of all of those nine hospitals, we only had one that we were able to have multiple meetings with on a recurring basis. And we were only able to do that for about six months. So it really was showing us that we still need to do this, but the level of interest at the administration level was not high enough. So one of the things we've got to do is attack the administration level to be sure that they understand it, the importance of it, and that they endorse it. Another thing that we need to do is to hit the, the medical schools even harder and see if we can get the medical schools to ensure that they are providing uh, more education. I had a conversation at, at, a, uh, at one of our outreach meetings with a, a nurse who came to our, our desk and, and said, you know what? I'm really interested in this sickle cell. And she said, I need to know more. And I said, well, I'm so glad you need to know more because we don't have enough people asking that. And then she said, what, the only problem is I had so little exposure to sickle cell in nursing school. I said, how much did you have? She said, about an hour. And I said, are you kidding me? An hour? And, and she said, yes, I'm not kidding you. So that's why I'm anxious. She was picking up everything off of our table so she could go home and read it. I had to see her dedication. But that showed me 
that there's not enough high level interest in it and it needs to be at a higher level and whether it needs to be maybe there needs to be more questions on on the boards or whatever it is but we've got to do something to make it more meaningful to the absolutely agree absolutely agree i think you both make really good points there it's hard to teach empathy it's hard to teach people who are unconvincible but there are some people in that gray zone, and I think if we focus on that gray zone, we can pull in some allies. I, I completely agree with you. And there are people like you, and and you know we've been watching you, and we're really really impressed with what we see from you, and I'm sure Wanda agrees with that. But I did have uh, the one emergency physician that we established the best relationship with. He said, Gary, the real problem here is that for every sickle cell patient we see, we see about 30 burn victims, and we see about 40 gunshot victims, and we see about 100 accident victims. And our guy, our, 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 our physicians need to be up on those things more than they need to be up on sickle cell because they don't see it that much. We've got to find a way around that little dilemma, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I, I think that, that, that that's absolutely part of, part of the major issue here, which is uh, there's no there's the ability to access care as an adult sickle cell patient is minuscule at best, non-existent, basically. So... You know, if you can't access care and you have a problem, it is an emergency, essentially, right? And, and you just have nowhere else to go. So, you know, there's definitely systemic issues here that systematic issues that need action. I'm just thrilled that there are individuals like yourselves who are on the ground trying to keep things moving along. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about patients. We spend a lot of time talking about the community. For physicians who may be listening to this podcast who may be sickle cell interested, who may be in that gray zone, who may not be allies yet, but can be pulled into allyship. If they do hear this, what advice do you have for them about engaging with their CBO today? Why should they and how should they? Well, as a part of the emergency department education project that I mentioned, you know, we still hold to one of the promises that we made to those we were trying to work with. We can help you. So in other words, if you have a patient that comes in regularly and doesn't seem to be following you know, the orders you give them or things like that, let us know and we'll reach out to them and we'll talk to them and we'll counsel them and we'll advise them. You know, Do what the doctor is telling you to do. And, and then I think that helps build a higher level of trust between the patient and the doctor. And that needs to be both ends. The doctor needs to trust the patient and the patient needs to trust the doctor. And we've seen issues where that both sides aren't, aren't trusting each other, and, and we know that that's a part of the problem. So what we wanted to do is say, you know, we can help you. We can intercede on your end and reach out to Joe and tell Joe, you know, doctor saw you six times in the last year in the, in the emergency room, and every time he's told us it seems like you're not taking your hydroxyurea or whatever it is, why aren't you taking your hydroxyurea? Please take your hydroxyurea. Make it easier on yourself and make it easier on the doctor. So we want to be sure that we have a two-way line of communication, and we're always open to help in any way that we can to help the providers because they are a critical point and a critical part of the, the, the care that the patients need to have, and we can help with that. Yeah, and I, I just want to 
add to that, um, Gary, I've, I agree with everything. I mean, Gary and I are very like-minded. I mean, we, we talk a lot, we give each other advice and it's like, oh yeah, that's how I think of it too. So we agree on a lot of things. So, but um, I, I think that it is um, so important for doctors to understand uh, what a pleasure it is to take care of individuals living with sickle cell disease and how grateful they are when they have a doctor that really, and I know you can speak to that, uh, Dr. Zadie, because at the clinic, they just love you. And it, it's just nice to be loved, you know? And 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 it, it's also such a fascinating illness. I mean, really just the pathophysiology and how much we're learning about that and the new developments is just a really exciting field to be in. And it's a it's a field where people are needed so desperately. But I, I think the, the primary advice that I would give to doctors is that Patients know their bodies and please believe the patients and mothers know their children. So when they come in and they tell you what's going on with their child, listen to them. Because when I was in medical school, you know, 90% of the diagnosis of what was going on with you was based on the history. And now it seems to be based on the CAT scan, you know, so just, just listening and just being being open to learn more about these uh, this these families, I think you'll find you'll be glad that you made the decision to become a sickle cell doc. I would also think that it's important for you know doctors that are treating sickle cell patients to be more open with some of the other subspecialties that they encounter, because that's important too. We don't have enough subspecialists that are treating patients with sickle cell, so we we always tell our our clients all the time. You know, are you getting the other kind of care that you need to? When's the last time you had your eyes checked? <clears throat> Things like that. So do we do we have doctors that are in some of those subspecialties that are hearing from doctors like you that are treating people with sickle cell? And so the more that we can get the discussion going within the medical field, the better I think the whole system would be. I absolutely agree. I, you know, again, I've got to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to the both of you. The work that you guys do is underappreciated, underrated. It is a job that, I mean, really it escapes all the boundaries of any normal job. It really does. I mean, this is this is your life's calling, and we're just so happy that we have partners like the both of you to care for individuals with sickle cell in our community. So, so thank you so much. Um, and, and I've got to say, I, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time out of your advocacy and your day full of fundraising and making things better for patients to spend some time chatting with me. I, I, I really do appreciate that so much. Keep fighting the good fight. Please, please hold us doctors accountable for our nonsense from time to time. And, and let <laughs> us know what we can do better to, to be better partners in this fight. We can only ask you to keep being a good example for the other doctors to watch. Much appreciated, Gary. With that, Warriors, there's another episode of Cheat Codes. Thank you for joining us. Keep living well with Sickle Cell. Follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell. Follow Dr. Callahan at Imagineer. Please go follow the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America and the Martin Center on social media. Show them some love. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. This episode of Cheat Codes was supported by Agios.